0: Thank you for listening to the Patrick Ely podcast. As always, it's a work of fiction for entertainment purposes only. It is not financial or medical advice. I had my 40th birthday this weekend, and a few of my friends had a little get-together in downtown Lodi. We were getting to have the kind of discussion that I would want on my birthday because it's my favorite stuff to talk about, some of my favorite stuff to talk about. We were talking about the upcoming election and the war, And different philosophies and no one was getting mad everyone was just being inquisitive and curious and one of the people at the get-together was polish poland's a nation that neighbors the ukraine so he had some really interesting insights to offer both about the politics of the war and also what it's like on the ground one of the things that came up was how little of the actual conflict is being shown on mainstream media i said rhetorically so how are, suppo- how are people supposed to see what's truly happening in the war? And a couple of the ladies immediately responded, TikTok. I was surprised when I said that. Pardon me, I was surprised when they said that. I use TikTok to post comedy clips. And I don't see anything but girls doing strange dances in front of their phones and cowboys playing acoustic guitar songs. The news has told me that TikTok doesn't have anything educational on it, and that is in stark contrast to China, where TikTok originates, because China, on the same app, only has educational information. So kids who are spending hours on TikTok a day there are actually getting more intelligent, and we all know that kids in America are pretty stupid. So anyway, one of the ladies showed me how to do it, how to find Ukraine war stuff on TikTok. And later that night when I got home, I watched some footage because she wasn't lying. There's a lot of Ukraine war footage on TikTok. And what did I see? Well, it looks a lot like San Francisco. I'm assuming the footage I was seeing was war-torn cities in Ukraine itself, not Russia. And the soldiers are doing a lot of exciting stuff there, like making TikToks. Uh, brewing coffee in the middle of quote-unquote gunfights, they're twitch streaming, having bikini contests, firing projectiles from tanks into bridges, and all in all seem to be having a pretty good time. I've never heard about or seen a war like this. Now granted, the only wars I've ever been in are on the streets and in martial arts competition. I've never been in a military confrontation. But I have watched Platoon, All Quiet on the Western Fronts, Band of Brothers, Saving Private Ryan, World War II documentaries on the History Channel. and Most importantly, I had a chiropractic practice in South Daytona, Florida. If you know anything about the East Coast of Central Florida, you know it's nothing but retirees. And when I was there, half of my patients were vets. So even though... It was now the 21st century. My waiting room every morning was full of war stories. In the war stories that I've been exposed to from history, ultimately the soldiers and veterans wanted peace. They saw humanity in the eyes of the other side and had a lot of regrets about the violence they had to inflict against the other warring nation. The only solace they had was when they... We're in a conflict that actually defended the security of the land of the United States. You know, the mass on North America. And my many veteran friends who I have and the many patients and other older generation folks that I've talked to over the years consistently had regrets in taking part in war when they didn't feel that that was the true and absolute goal of America in getting into the conflicts. I have friends who regret taking part in Afghanistan and Iraq. Most of them are past, but I have friends who regretted taking part in Vietnam. Most people seem pretty pumped about World War II, but I'm pretty confused about the small snippets of the actual conflict that I saw on TikTok. The Democratic Party that is in control of the White House seems pretty clear that peace between Russia and Ukraine is not an option. And I'm pretty literate, but no one has been able to explain objectively to me how the United States is threatened by anything going on with Ukraine outside of economic advantages, particularly controlling grain and fossil fuel supplies. One of the things that make, makes me feel safe in America is that we are kind of isolated from the world's other military powers. There's a big ocean between us. We're also a pretty big country, and we maintain good relations with our neighbors in Mexico and Canada. I know that if Canada or Mexico had nuclear weapons pointed at us, I would pretty quickly want to find peace and compromise and not keep shooting Canadians to further anger and threaten Canada. The Ukrainian footage that I saw on TikTok didn't show Ukrainians who appeared particularly threatened by the impending doom of nuclear war. And from an American standpoint, wouldn't we rather Ukraine disappear than have nuclear explosions going off anywhere in this world? It's a genuine question. I don't know what should be going on. That's why I'm watching TikTok at 2 o'clock in the morning to try and understand what's going on with the war. I'm far away from the Ukraine and Russia, but I'm pretty darn close to San Francisco. And I'm not kidding that some of those war-torn cities that I saw on TikTok looked an awful like blocks of San Francisco. It's confusing that we're sending billions of dollars to the Ukraine to clean that place up, but we're not doing anything real in San Francisco. The other day, Gavin Newsom had a great long-form interview in exchange with Sean Hannity. It was great not because gavin newsom won or sean hannity won but because it was a long-form discussion where they were allowed to speak in question with some nuance it's very rare that you see republicans and democrats converse like that and my gosh we need more of this kind of discourse i may think you have the worst ideas in the world i want you to be able to speak and attempt to articulate them with as much space and time as you need so I can have a better understanding of what's really going on because if someone's views are too extreme, then they might be a threat. You extrapolate that out you've got nations warring, but I would at least like to know if someone is a threat to me, if we disagree greatly. And that certainly seems relevant in today's day and age, where if you go on Twitter, you see a lot of liberal threats to shoot conservatives. Now, they don't say, I am going to shoot you, sir, because that would be illegal, but they do say, you take away the right for me to take the penis off of my child, and I'll shoot you. Yesterday, I saw multiple people saying, if a reporter approaches a liberal to ask them questions about a piece of news in person, that's a threat against them, and they should be able to shoot them. If someone knocks on your door, like door-to-door salesmen used to do for a living, then you deserve to be shot. And while I saw no conservatives talking that way, they don't really need to because everybody knows that the conservatives have plenty of guns and fantasize about using them. Something that's wild about the liberal state and progressives in particular is they essentially make it impossible for you to defend your home unless someone is in the process of shooting you. And they do not allow you to stop crime in many cities around the country, including Los Angeles and San Francisco. They don't allow you to stop crime with any sort of force, whether it be hand-to-hand combat or with a weapon. You can't even lock someone into a store if they're trying to steal merchandise. However, they have interest in shooting people who think differently than them and who want to speak. There's a pretty wide gap there between common sense. Like the only reason that you would want to hurt someone is if they were threatening you objectively. And sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, if you're coming in my house where I have a sleeping child, and God forbid you attempt to remove some property that, you know, the criminal has no idea how important that property is or what role it's playing in your life, that apparently isn't a threat that would warrant self-defense. Gavin Newsom did a good job, actually, of explaining this juxtaposition away. He didn't deny it. He also didn't respond directly to it. For instance, when he was asked about the progressive laws that have allowed places like Portland, Seattle, and San Francisco to be overrun with crime, drug addicts, and homelessness, he went on to talk about how California is the fourth largest economy in the country, leaving out the fact that much of of me, fourth largest economy in the world. And he left out the fact that most of that economy occurs outside of those major metropolitan areas. For instance, California has some of the biggest agriculture in the world, all of which happens in generally conservative or centrist part of the state. Where I live, there's little to no crime. And everywhere else I've lived in California has been relatively safe and I've experienced less crime and burglary than I have other places where I've lived. Now given there's the eyesore of the homeless, but in Chicago, I had my car broken into repeatedly with no help from law enforcement in Florida. There was predatory law enforcement. I experienced robbery and serious threats of violence and death in Virginia. And the worst thing that's ever happened to me in California is somebody took stuff out of my trunk when I left the trunk open in a parking lot and took a bag off of my porch that, again, I left out pretty much all night. He went on to make other great points about a healthy community. For instance, he pointed out that the high taxation really only happens to the 1% in California and truly reiterated that middle-class living is actually cheaper and you tend to pay less taxes than you do in places like Texas that grandstand about being this free state that is easy for people to live in. As a politician, it's important to be able to change the subject matter to get people to focus on the positives. And he did that like a real expert in continuing to say true positive things about the state instead of answering specific questions about the conditions of certain cities. Because there was mature discourse, Hannity didn't cut him off from speaking. He allowed him to say all this stuff respectfully And in in part, the reason you would want to do that in a long-form discussion is because someone might circle back to answering the question. And you might find that the reason they're pointing out seemingly unrelated facts and figures is because there's actually a grand design to the situation. And you find out as they circle back to answering a specific question, for instance, in this case about the collapsing cities, that those factors might explain what's going on. Unfortunately, Newsom never did. Newsom talked about how California has been in the front of the country by nearly all metrics for over half a century. And it's a great talking point. However, it is significant to note that since he's been involved in politics, starting as the governor or the mayor of San Francisco, and now governor of our state, the state's declined by nearly all important metrics. Overall, California is still doing great compared to the rest of the country. But that's because California, the actual land mass, mass, is amazing. I mean, his comparison would be like somebody getting a 30 year old Ford Escort with 350,000 miles and also a 2023 Bentley with zero miles, drive them both like shit and say, well, this Bentley is clearly better because it's holding up better. I'm the first to admit that there are trade offs with progressive ideas ones that are good. For instance, if you allow people greater autonomy of their body and reform drug laws, say make marijuana legal, you will have some people that use it irresponsibly. Granted, those people were probably going to find a way to be irresponsible in general, and it has nothing to do with the marijuana, but statistics are statistics. If you zoom out further and look at multiple drugs that encompass stuff like heroin and fentanyl, Reducing criminal penalties for nonviolent crimes and drug use is a nonviolent crime takes a load off of the prison system and the court system and also allows people more freedom in the truest sense of the word. There's a lot of corruption in the in the prison industrial complex and there are many states that have that industrial complex so entrenched that they love strict drug penalties. Even though those strict drug penalties don't objectively improve the quality of life or the economic situation of states that behave that way. Yes, a lot of people will kill themselves with fentanyl. Again, those people are generally irresponsible people in the first place. At this point, if you get hooked on pain medication like opiates that lead to Oxycontin, you knew better. And I'll tell you right now, you can go through just about any surgery, more or less use no painkillers, And be okay after the first day yes you'll have some aches and pains but that's life years and years ago before modern surgery and modern medicine if someone had an accident and had to lose a limb and somehow didn't die from that loss of the limb and their recovery they considered themselves blessed and grateful regardless of the amount of pain that they had to go through and yeah obviously that's an extreme and we don't have to do that now Surgery in general is far less evasive, invasive, pardon me. And there are plenty of things like strong ibuprofen that greatly reduce the pain people experience in recovery while still not having the dangerous properties of something like an Oxycontin. One of the big problems seems to be when you have the pendulum swing all the way to the other side. And instead of having people who say are fentanyl addicts, not necessarily be convicted of punishable crimes, but start giving these people who are doing bad things to themselves and society extra rights. There is no justification from having it be, for having it be legal to steal from someone's store and have that store not be able to do anything about it. Same thing with people stealing from people's vehicles, which is personal property. It is not that individual's fault if a group has been disenfranchised. And that's the progressive argument that criminals, especially criminals of color, have been forced to steal because of their chronic disenfranchisement in communities. And America is founded on personal responsibility, and it is not a communist nation. While that's unfortunate, that's happened to people treating your fellow man and woman with respect and their personal boundaries and property being protected is the only way this thing's going to work. And yet we have people who have done the work to start small businesses, to contribute to the economy. And these progressive laws and policies and cities allow those people's lives to be destroyed while someone who isn't doing work and is taking the easy way out is benefiting greatly. I've got a show in San Francisco next week. It's one of the bigger shows I've ever had. I'm really looking forward to it. And I go to San Francisco all the time. And this is the first time that I'm nervous about having to go down there and bring my vehicle? Do I need to bring a propane stove and coffee so I can make it while I battle people on the streets? The police are not allowed to do anything. They're not allowed to stop crimes. And if someone breaks into my vehicle, there's nothing I can do about it. I can't afford that type of thing to happen as a hardworking individual in this country. Why is it okay for people in Ukraine to shoot the bad guys, but it's not okay for me to bring my small but nice arsenal down to san francisco and clean up the baddies the worst thing they're probably going to be able to do is throw a knife at me or hurl a flaming bag of shit whereas the consequence of shooting the wrong guy in the ukraine is a nuclear weapon pointed at some part of europe and gavin newsom supports these policies and he also supports the war in ukraine very very confusing i have an idea that might solve this stuff short term though And I think that we could clean up these cities through inflation and coupons. I think that we should inflate all commonly stolen products to prices beyond the amount that is permissible by law for you to steal. So, for instance, in some municipalities, you can't steal more than $800 worth of merchandise or else you can actually be committing a crime that law enforcement could get involved with. So if you steal $750 of stuff, It's fine, it's free. Well, I say we make every piece, every uh every stick of deodorant eight hundred and one dollars. You can use an app on your phone to get a coupon for seven hundred and fifty-five, seven hundred and ninety-five in fact, of those dollars. And all you gotta do is go to checkout, and when you pay money like you're supposed to, you get the discount. But otherwise, the moment you grab a stick of speed stick off the shelves and try to run out of it, run out out of the CVS, you've just stolen over $800 worth of merchandise and you're going to get stopped. You can't tell me that the citizens of San Francisco don't have smartphones. So, that app just like they wanted to put an app showing that you got vaccinated and a universal ID on your phone will be no problem for people to use. And if there are some unfortunate souls that can't who cares? because the government is trying to destroy the middle class anyway through inflation. So let's just speed that shit up. There's one thing I've learned in 40 years. It's that we might as well get to the point. I want action taken in San Francisco and Los Angeles now. And hopefully other cities like Chicago and Portland will follow suit, but I'm partial to California. I love this place. And like I said, it's the Bentley of the United States. We have every type of climate, but the majority of the good places to live, have a Mediterranean climate, weather is consistent year round, you can do all kinds of physical activities comfortably, no matter what month it is. You can cycle and run and swim and surf. It's easy to grow your own fruits and vegetables in most parts of the country or of the state and much of the state isn't lacking water, which you wouldn't know if you didn't live here and just watch the news but because there's not a lot of humidity and torrential downpouring and hurricaning, food doesn't mold when you grow it. The air is clean. The roadways are pristine. We have an incredible network of state parks. We do have the best of the best when it comes to intelligent people and business competition. And San Francisco and Los Angeles in particular, buildings aside, are incredibly beautiful pieces of land. The views and vistas of San Francisco probably unparalleled in this country. And the buildings themselves in San Francisco throughout most of the city are at perfect height and juxtaposition so that you can see the views of nature everywhere. Parks are interconnected, and without being too hot, almost every day there's a period of pure blue sky. Wildlife flourishes, especially in the bays and on the coast. And it sucks when you have to walk into little Ukraine there now to not be able to enjoy it. I can only imagine how I'd feel if I was a resident there, but I'm not. And I'm lucky I'm not because it sucks right now. So I hope for more inflation. I hope for the ability of law enforcement to get involved in more of these criminal situations. And I hope that more and more people have, that are not contributing to society, get driven out and have to live in terrible poverty conditions so that they'd be motivated to change. I can't get over how much perspective modern people have lost in that in most poverty situations in America, you're still doing better than anyone was 100 years ago. If you have a smartphone and hot water and a roof over your head, there's nothing you can't do. Our government should be teaching people in poverty how to self-teach themselves, because you can do that on your phone. Instead, people in poverty are taught to feel sorry for themselves and to ignore the tools around them and instead take part in nefarious activities, to put more effort into educating the children. No matter what, we should be protecting kids and educating them. And if a kid is born into a bad family situation and surrounded by crime and just out and out hurting other people, the government should be a beacon, a path for them to go to a better place because they certainly can. The idea that someone born into poverty should be given the same things as someone who has found financial success and made millions of dollars is nonsensical, and it also isn't motivating. That come up, that journey from rags to riches, is one of the most motivating things in modern life. Even if you never get there, it gives you a reason to do, gives you a reason to believe, and... One of the great things about humans is often when they have lofty goals but they really pursue them when they fail they fail big meaning they fall into a better place than they were before someone might dream of being a national headlining comedian with hbo specials and they may never get there but if they try really hard and they cultivate their talent they might end up getting to be a club comic who is able to make a living doing that and then living a life that involves a lot of freedom and self-expression and not having to participate in the rat race what a win in fact so many people who are in the rat race but have had a lot of financial success would say well i would trade that life for mine in a second someone who has no incentivization to dream won't fail they also won't change their position they'll continue to be surrounded by things they don't like and demotivating stimulus 300 years ago There was no deodorant. So how bad would it be if people had to have the goal of one day being able to pay $805 for some speed stick? It would be worth it.